We've got a fun episode today because we had a nice surprise on Thursday evening. It's Friday morning around 11 o'clock and we want to just get one more episode out before the weekend approaches. We were going to do top shortstop prospects. And the irony is we're going to talk about a shortstop right here on the call up because Joey Ortiz getting sent over to Milwaukee and what is a much larger deal than that. You know, it's a prospect podcast when I'm talking about a Corbin Burns, a trade of one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. And we're leading with Joey Ortiz. But Corbin Burns traded from Milwaukee to Baltimore. That, of course, comes with a hefty price tag, even with only one year of control. Joey Ortiz from Baltimore, D.L. Hall from Baltimore and a draft pick as well. Of course, a compensation pick. This is exactly what we wanted, Jack. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. Of course, I'm Arm Waiting. He's Jack McMullen, and we're both excited. Um, the Just Baseball Show, if you listen to that, we are just, we've been pounding on the pavement ad nauseum about when are the Orioles going to push the chips forward? The system is so good. You and I have spent so much time on the call up. It's like it, it would never escape us. So much time on the call up where we're saying, how do we solve this log jam, Jack? Like, how, how do we figure it out? Where is this guy going to play? Where is that gonna, guy going to play? What do you do if this guy's performing and this guy's not performing as much? They still have a log jam, by the way, but it just got a little bit less chaotic with a guy that has to play shortstop because that's where his value is going to be in Joey Ortiz heading over to Milwaukee. But, Jack, what's your what's your instant reaction here? Because I think like an hour, I would say probably two to three hours before the trade went down, we put out an episode of the Just Baseball Show. I almost never publish it early. You know, we usually put it out at midnight, but I was like, eh, screw it. It's Thursday night. Might as well put it out now. So we had some more breathing, you know, room before the weekend. It was a long episode. We had Eno Saris on. It was great. But in the open, we talked about the Baltimore Orioles, you know, new ownership. I know yeah. the sales impending, but what it could mean. Are they going to be more aggressive spending wise? Are they going to be more aggressive trade wise? We, of course, speculated, yes, it, why invest in a team if you're not going to do that, especially with all the talent that they have. But I didn't think that, one, they would do it within three hours, and two, that it would be a trade for Corbin freaking Burns. How are we feeling, Jack? feel great. Uh, my mind flooded with questions as soon as I saw it, and a lot of them had to do with, with the ownership change less than 24 hours before that. I wonder if Mike Elias wanted to move these guys and the Angelos family was saying, no, we've been burned on this before. We're not going to get burned on it again. And as soon as that changing of the guard happened, Mike felt comfortable in doing so. Mm -hmm. Or was it the new ownership group on their introductory phone call with Mike Elias saying, go move some prospects. We know how many you have. Like we want a winner right away in Baltimore. So I wonder who was freed? Was it the was it the new ownership group telling the front office like, hey, go do something? Or was it Mike Elias feeling freed from the yeah. Angelos family where he has some breathing room? And like a two B because it overlaps with with those, you know, ideas that you just presented would be. You know, maybe ownership is saying, hey, I can't guarantee that we're going to extend Corbin Burns, but I can guarantee that we'll make a competitive offer, you know, at at the end of at the end of the year to try to retain him. And that might be enough for Michael Eyes to say, all right, then I'll give up Joey Ortiz and D.L. Hall. Like just to know I have a chance. I I wouldn't want to give up Joey Ortiz and D.L. Hall if I know I have zero percent, no shot at all at retaining 
Corbin Burns or whoever I'm I'm acquiring. So maybe at least they feel like, okay, if we have a 30% chance of, of retaining him too, that's enough for me to push these chips forward for this one year of him because there's a shot that we can keep him afterwards as well. And I honestly think it's a culmination of all those things. Uh, and, and I really do because I think ownership was aware of, of, you know, new ownership was aware of the stigma that has followed, you know, Angelos and, and the Angelos led Orioles. And I think it was very clear for them. Hey, l- let's change this immediately. They probably yeah. watched. They, they got Cal Ripken as part of that ownership group as well. They probably watched the Marlins and the way things went there where it was like, oh, we're going to be different. We're going to be different. And then they weren't different really at all. Uh, and I think that it was key, key for these guys to say, hey, we're going to be different right out of the gate. Like we're going to we're going to be a different organization we're gonna we're gonna operate totally different you're gonna see a changing of the guard immediately and i think this was really a tone setter for them uh and and i think that this is great news for orioles fans it's it's frustrating for brewers fans on one side of the coin because you know we're we're gonna talk about the trade we're gonna break down ortiz we're gonna break down dl hall the draft pick and and and, you know where, where that could slot in and then we're gonna talk about where this kind of sets the market because we've been waiting for a trade to go down so that we'd have an understanding of of what the value is of these pitchers one of the best pitchers in the game with one year of control getting traded still does help get a barometer for the value of a Lizardo, the value of cease the value of some other guys even a shane bieber they're all different values but it gives you at least a reference point no one wants to be the first one to jump in because they don't know the temperature of the water and they don't want to be wrong about it so from that lens, it's it's going to be fun to break that down. But circling back to, to the original point is, you know, I feel, feel like Orioles fans have to be pretty excited about where things are at and, and where things are going. And, and I think it's very clear that that it's different days ahead in Baltimore, which is much needed because they've got everything they need. The system doesn't even feel this trade and it's still the best system in baseball. Yeah. Um, when you brought up the Marlins, I was like, wait, didn't wasn't Bruce Sherman the one in charge when they gave Stanton the deal? But no, it was Loria, and the Loria left Loria. Sherman and all of them with that Stanton money, and then they moved it to New York. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Cleveland, who just had the ownership change, and they really haven't done anything to make their presence felt immediately. For me, in recent memory, the gold standard of new ownership coming in and making a splash is in Phoenix with the Suns, not with the Diamondbacks. Matt Ishbia takes over. They trade for Brad Beal. That was, hey, I'm here. Like, Mm -hmm. this is no joke. I care about this. And for me, this is the Suns equivalent to what we have in Major League Baseball. It's, hey, we're here. We're the Orioles. We know how good we can be for the next 10 years. Let's make sure the rest of the league knows. And and I'm with you, man. Like, yeah, it, it was good to kind of set the temperature of the water because based on the cease conversations that we've heard throughout the off season, the water was freezing cold. This was a polar plunge, like five yeah. top 10 prospect. No, like yeah, absolutely not. So the fact that you're getting a guy and granted it's the best farm system in baseball, but the fact that you're getting a guy that was outside their top five prospects in Ortiz that probably slots into the eight to 10 range with DL hall and the 34th overall pick is probably just outside the top 10 in their prospects. Like they, I, the narrative on, on Twitter yesterday after the trade went down was, Oh, they didn't even feel it. They may feel it with hall. We'll see what the mm-hmm. pick turns into. Ortiz was clearly surplus. We were begging for him to get traded him and Michael yeah. Bush. And now they're both on different teams. Thank God. But um, I, I, 
thought this price was pretty interesting, and I'm excited to get into that a little bit later on in the episode. Yeah, so we'll, we'll dive into what Brewers fans are are getting here with a Joey Ortiz, what Brewers fans are getting with, with a D.L. Holland. Honestly, what I think it is emblematic of, of what the Brewers' approach is, because I think the Brewers' approach is very clearly to be the race. Like, I, I, this is the thing. They are not selling. And, and and we've talked about on the Just Baseball show where I'm like, I applauded them. And that's probably my mistake. I'm like, oh, they signed Hoskins. They're going to keep this group together. And, you know, they're going to try try to give it one last good shot. And then they'll reshuffle when they potentially lose Burns and free agency or trade them at the deadline if they're not performing or whatever it may be. It looks like they're not really going that route. They're going the route of, okay, we're going to add some pieces that we see fit that we think are good investments. Reese Hoskins on a two-year deal, I think was great value for them. I think he's going to perform. But to me, that was like the Rays adding Zach Eflin, but then, you know, trading away other other key pieces. We we see that happen all the time for these teams that don't like to spend and, you know, feel like they can't compete with, with other teams who are spending. The way that they try to do that is by, you know, maximizing their assets, right. And, and, and trading them at the peak of their value when other teams like the Yankees, the, the Dodgers even, and, and other big market teams <clears throat> aren't going to ever do that, right. They're never going to trade a, a player, a star at the peak of their value because it doesn't make sense. They're trying to win now. Always uh, the Rays are always trying to win now, but they're also still trying to set up perpetual success. It's just interesting to see the Brewers pretty much identically follow that model. And that it just seems like that's what I'm seeing here because you'll get the return for, you know, Tyler Glass now. And I think that was another, you know, fair barometer, though his injury history made it a little bit difficult to really compare that and use that as a, as a true, true barometer. But what did yeah. the Rays look for? The Rays looked for big league ready pieces in return, and they got that. Pepeo goes right into the rotation. Uh, you, you go get DeLuca, who's probably going to slot right into the outfield and they're going to probably trade another bat. I think that's part of the reason why they were willing to trade another bat uh, in a rally and, you know, make, make things happen, right? Get creative. So I think this is kind of what the brewers are doing where it's, Hey, we're not waving the white flag, but we're never going to be a team. That's just adding, adding, adding. We're going to be kind of subtracting to add, you know, and, and getting creative. And that's why I think they go for a package here. That is, two big league ready pieces. I think the draft pick was more of a formality because if you, you know, you would have got a draft pick after you gave Corbin Burns the, the, the qualifying offer. So instead they're like, we don't want to lose that draft pick. We draft really well, give us a draft pick. And and I think that was what they got, you know, added on top. But I think for the brewers, it was okay. We still need to kind of fill out this rotation, uh, especially if we move Burns hall, I think is going to go in the rotation more on that in a moment. And then I think at shortstop, they feel as though speculatory. I don't know can move Willie Adamas now because Ortiz is ready to go. He doesn't need to see Nashville at all. Okay, so real quick interjection. Move him where? Move him to third base or move him off the team? So I think move him off the team because I, I saw I, – I got a reply on that and said, oh, well, what if you move Adamas to third base? Here's my – I think if, if he was under control for three years, absolutely. I'd be totally down to do that. But do you think Willie Adamas is going to be willing to move to third base in his – in his, you know, jump year, you know, in the year he's going to be a free agent next year. He's a shortstop. Some of his value comes from, you know, it's been up and down, but when he defends well, he's had really good seasons. He's flashed the ability to defend, especially since coming over to Milwaukee. I, I, if I were his agent, I'd be telling him request a trade, you know, don't move to third. So I like, I, I get where you're coming from, but my question is, does it matter? 
to the Brewers' new manager? Does it matter to Matt Arnold, the Brewers' lead decision maker? Or it's like, hey, man, you're on our team. You're playing third base and you have to be a professional and suck it up because he is yeah. he's not a high priced free agent. He's a high high priced R3 guy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's it. I, I'm interested to see how it goes. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if Adamus hits, he hits and he'll get paid. And whoever signs him can sign him to go play shortstop again, too, right? It's not like if, once you play third for one year, you can never go back to shortstop. I also yeah. wonder if they would just you – know, I think a lot of Ortiz's value comes from playing short, but maybe Adamus sticks it short and they put Ortiz at third. I think that would be like legitimately That'd be a mistake. things and be b- bizarre because a lot of Ortiz's value is going to come from the glove even when his there's ebbs and flows of, of his offensive you know game. So I, I think it's a fair thought, and, and I think it's very possible. I, I imagine that he's going to try to combat that, won't be thrilled with it. And if I think they're going to at least survey the market because this gives them the ability to do so. You have Tyler Black knocking on the door who can play third base uh, yeah. very soon. I think he's big league ready. And if you get an offer that just knocks your socks off for, for Willie Adamas because teams are, are desperate for, for middle infield help and there's not much left in free agency, then you can go do that. And now that, that return kind of compounds, you get – You'll get a couple of good pieces back for him. You already have the left side of the infield you know, pretty ready to go, I think, with an Ortiz and, and a Black. You have to see if they perform at the big league level, but I think both can, and I think both could be really solid. And, you know, Black's a fringy defender. You hedge that with an elite defensive shortstop and Joey Ortiz, who I think is going to make an impact right away with the glove. And it's a fun, fast, and young and dynamic infield and, and outfield that – I think is going to be good and controllable for a long time. So that side of it is is fun, but you know they may not want to subtract from this big league team anymore, considering you know, they're not rebuilding. They added Hoskins, so maybe they don't want to trade an Adamus. I'm very interested to see how they go about it. Yeah, you just sparked a thought in my mind. Um, do you remember on the Just Baseball show the trade that I pitched for Devin Williams? Yeah, Devin Williams to the Dodgers. Um, I know that there were a lot of people. I think Verducci put together a mock trade that I kind of enjoyed, and it was Burns and Adamas to L.A., and the return was a package centered around Gavin Lux. You get Mm -hmm. an immediate shortstop in L.A. if you go Adamas replacing Gavin Lux. Could you package Devin Williams and Willie Adamas and get Lux and a couple of blue chip prospects? Like That could be the trade that breaks baseball, but that's immediately where my mind went, where my mind went, and I like, it's like that's sexy. And that would be really fun. And, and it's funny because like I want to do something along the lines of, and we got to finish all our prospect rankings first, but like I want to do right. something along the lines of like I don't want to do talent under 25 because like Joey Ortiz is 25 years old, but I'd love to do rankings of like players with five plus years of control in an organization and do like a talent ranking of that because the Brewers would be up there, you know, especially if they make oh, yeah. another one of these trades where you have you have years and years of control of of you know Freelick, of Contreras, of you know, Weimer, even and, and guys like that. But uh, Churio, we go on and on and on. And now you add you know, Ortiz into that that fold, and it makes it really and fun. And then yeah. and then you can factor in those prospects too. But it's like players who have or who are prospects and players who have five, four to five years of control. I think it makes it super fascinating. And of course, Hall would be added into that as well as you mentioned. So I, I'm I'm curious to see how they approach it. Regardless, Joey Ortiz plugs right in right away and i think the plan would be he plays shortstop and and let's kind of just jump right into that i put a thread together um before the season started last year i'm sure you remember that one because i i was like constantly sending you joey ortiz defensive clips and this was before he was kind of a 
consensus top 100 prospect because the, the genesis of the thread was I think Joey, Joey Ortiz is the most underrated shortstop prospect in baseball uh, because he, he had a great finish to the to the 2022 season was banged up and ultimately you know, <clears throat> he really had a, a solid year last year didn't get enough opportunity at the big league level to, to really solidify himself so just being kind of stale in AAA caused him to fall a little bit over uh, on some prospect rankings but he did everything you could remotely ask for uh, in AAA, put up great numbers, played good defense and and was really solid. So if you want to check out that thread of like just the defensive prowess, and that doesn't even include highlights from last year, uh, I'll link that in the episode description. It's, it's wild. And I also dive into some of the improvements that he's made offensively. So just kind of leaning right into that. Ortiz, the ceiling is going to be a little bit more capped, I think, than some of the other top 100 shortstop prospects at this point. But Ortiz is a tough one for me because I do also think that his ceiling is is maybe higher than people give him credit for because he does hit the crap out of the ball. Yes, he is older, but he's been hurt. He was a late bloomer. Uh, and, and what's interesting to me is he hits the ball really, really hard. And the problem is his average launch angle is like five degrees. So it's a very flat swing that's geared for line drives. Those that swing being geared for line drives is a reason why he makes really good and consistent contact. Like he is well above average, almost in the plus territory when it comes to zone contact rates and just overall contact rates. But on the flip side, it's like, okay, you hit the ball way too hard to have the the ISO and slugging numbers that you have. And at shortstop, you know, that you want guys to slug a little bit nowadays. So, so that's, the interesting aspect of it, are they going to be able to get a little bit more power, you know, out of out of Ortiz in Milwaukee? You know, being in a hitter friendly environment now will definitely help. It's a it's a much more hitter friendly environment in Milwaukee. But can he lift a little bit more? Can he hit the ball in the air more consistently? You don't want him to get away from who he is in terms of just making hard contact consistently. But he is an aggressive hitter. I think kind of cutting down the chase and and generating a little bit more leverage could result in in this guy. I think you know, reaching 20 home runs, but I think it's more likely he's 10 to 15 home runs, plenty of doubles, great defense, good speed, and can hit for a decent average. The one thing I think is more changeable and needs to be changed is the aggressiveness. He's going to need to walk a little bit more, but there's like some Dansby Swanson, you know, aspects, I think to him. I don't think it's ever going to be as good as what Dansby is now, but I think it's some Dansby Swanson light components to him that I think can make him a really solid shortstop. Speaking of Dansby Swanson, uh, the middle infield tandem of Joey Ortiz and Bryce Terang, is that the second best defensive middle infield tandem in baseball behind Swanson and Horner? Uh, it, it could be. It very well could be. I mean, Terang, I felt like Terang kind of wore his his struggles at the plate defensively a little bit last year. And he let it bleed. Still was yeah. Yeah, and he still was twelve defensive run saves. But I think he's even better than that at second base. So uh, yes, I, I think that could be up there with just about anybody when you take that middle infield duo there, a hundred percent. Yeah, it, ridiculous, man. And obviously, the thread that you put together, seeing the defensive mastery of Ortiz, and he's had time to perfect his craft. He's had plenty of time in Norfolk to perfect his craft, and I, I'm very excited to see him get an everyday shot and. I know you and I were both kind of begging for enhancements at second base and third base with the Milwaukee Brewers. Monastery was a good bench piece. 
Andrew Monasterio should not be in the opening day lineup for the Milwaukee Brewers. And now this effectively phases Andrew Monasterio out of the opening day lineup for the Milwaukee Brewers, which is nice. Depending on what they do with Adamas and, you know, who you get back for Adamas, that could change. But I, I think what they have done is they have found enhancements in multiple places of their team. And we're going to get to Hall in a moment. But Ortiz, like, I think this guy is just better than the second base and third base option that they were running out in Monasterio and Terang. And Terang was, was he a top 100 prospect going into last year? I think he was. Yeah, I was high on him. That was honestly a miss for me last year. Um, I thought he was going to have a really nice year and he really struggled offensively. It is worth noting he's 24. You know, he just turned right. 20, he just turned 24. So he still stole bags, played great defense a second, but man, I thought he'd hit a lot better than he did. He was a top 100 guy for us. Yeah, so what you're doing is you're taking a a fringe top 100 guy probably if you, you know, just account for everything there. Um you're taking a fringe top 100 guy and you're replacing him with a top 50 guy and you're moving that fringe top 100 guy to take the place of somebody that was outside the top 100. So you yeah. are effectively just kind of like stacking a better player on top of everybody else and everybody else moves down a ring and that's all you can ask for and that's what Tampa does all the time. Yep. Yep. So Here's my one question, though. And, and Fangraph's roster resource, I think they're just trying to plug Ortiz in. You know, we haven't had any reports or anything about you know, how they go, plan to go about it. And then there's two wrinkles to this. How are they going to handle D.L. Hall as well? Is he going to go to the bullpen? Is he going to start? I think he should start. And we're going to get into that in a moment, too. I think they need him to start. But they, Fangraph's roster resource has Ortiz at third base. And, and I do think that there's a, a chance that that happens. And I do think that there's a chance that the Brewers are going to come out and say, oh, we're more than fine putting Joey Ortiz at third just in case for posturing. Because, you know, if, if Willie Adamas says, you know, and Willie Adamas's camp comes out and says, I have no interest in, in playing short or playing third base, that kind of hurts their leverage. But their leverage could be there if they say, hey, we have no problem putting Ortiz at third where he'll be, a, you know, an all world defender. And, you know, we're still getting that defensive or that offensive production from Adamas at shortstop. I I think it's a little backwards because, you know, you're acquiring a a glove first shortstop at the end of the day. I know Ortiz has put up great numbers at at each stop. At the end of the day, that's that's what he's going to be at the big league level. So I'm I I, it's kind of breaking my brain a little bit, but I, I wouldn't rule it out because if they don't move Adamas. I think there's a chance that they might just plug Ortiz at third in the meantime. It would be a waste if Ortiz plays second. And then you wait for Tyler Black to come up. And that's where I'm also kind of curious is like, where does Tyler Black fit in? Because Black is somebody that I think could be a spark plug for this team and, and, and could be a big difference maker in terms of just putting them over the top as one of the faster and just more dynamic teams while still adding a little bit of pop from the left side that I think could be really fun. And you look at the situation right now, Yelich may DH or Yelich ends up playing the outfield. Maybe you DH Hoskins, who's kind of a liability at first base and coming off of an ACL that he tore while playing first base in spring training. I almost would rather have Yelich in the outfield. You, you kind of revolve the DH role and maybe at some point you bring up Tyler Black to play first base. And, you know, just kind of have a revolving door. Black could also plug in a second if Terang is struggling. It, you could do different things there. But I guess my my question is, if you don't move Adamas, you do kind of block Tower Black a little bit, who I think after a few months, if, if he does start in AAA, 
Black's going to be the same story of some of these other guys that we're talking about where it's like, where does he fit in? He doesn't need to be in triple A anymore. Um, and I think you could argue that he's big league ready now. So, so I don't think you move yeah. Adamus off the back of, of Tyler Black being ready, but I do think that could make you a little bit more willing to do so. See, I actually don't think he's blocked. I think this turns into a one-on-one competition between Tyler Black and Garrett Mitchell because of the defensive assortment that you just mentioned. Is Yelich going to DH or is he going to play the outfield? If Black is a better option than Mitchell, you put Yelich in left, you move Hoskins to DH, and you have Black play first play er, first base. So all of a sudden, instead of a competition between, hey, we've got Willie Adamas, how do we finagle Tyler Black into this? It's, would you rather have Tyler Black or Garrett Mitchell in the lineup? And if the answer is Black, you yeah, put Mitchell black. on the bench. Yeah. yeah. So like, okay, if the answer is Black, then you move Mitchell to the bench. And you've got an outfield of Freelich and right, Chorio in center, Yelich in left, Hoskins the DH, Black at first base. They've got so much young talent, man. I, like, this is a fun situation. For, and I know it sucks if you're a Brewers fan and you look at it and you're saying, hey, we just traded our ace. Or we just traded one of the best pitchers in baseball. I know that sucks. <laughs> but kind of turning the page here, Yelich is going to be under contract for several more years. But he's kind of that. that and it's good to have one continuous vet. But you look at this young core, it's fun. And, and I think you could see this really blossoming into a team that's going to be a problem for a while. And I also think that they're, they have the liberty to kind of add and subtract still in certain areas, especially as other guys start to perform. If Mitchell kind of gets phased out but is playing pretty well, that's another dude that you can move. I mean, he's super talented. Plenty of teams will have interest in him. And that might be a way for you to go get more pitching or, or you know, get creative with another trade. We're, we're talking about you know, pitching for hitting type deals. And uh, the Marlins have, have continued to float different ideas. I think a lot of the times they've been aiming too high and both teams just are kind of a little bit skittish. Marlins don't want to move Wizardo. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but then teams don't want to give up enough you know, for Edward Cabrera, who the Marlins are willing to move, but don't want to sell low on. And it, it creates this kind of stagnation and, and island, you know, when it comes to these conversations where you're just not going to quite line up. But I could see a Garrett Mitchell and, you know, another piece, maybe a Monasterio, to be honest, going yeah. over to the Marlins. And it might take more than that. It might take less. I have I struggle to conceptualize Edward Cabrera's value, but something along those lines where it could make sense for both parties. And now the Brewers add another arm into the fold in the rotation because they're going to need to do that, I think. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they now turn and, and make a move with one of their you know outfielders who are kind of blocked in their own right, uh, especially as you mentioned, the, the, the Tyler Black situation. Because Mitchell could be expendable. You could argue that Bryce Terang could be expendable, but they might not want to you know, sell low on him. Joey Weimer, I think they really like. You know, we had uh, obviously we talked about you know, Joey Weimer with, with Brenton Del Chiaro, the hidden coordinator for the Brewers, and he's excited about him too. So I, I think it makes more sense that they potentially move a Mitchell and a Monasterio or somebody else and a prospect and you know, could get themselves an Edward Cabrera. So I think this also, this trade gives them the opportunity to get creative in other areas too, which is. You know, what they want to do anyways. They again I think they're they're trying to be the race. Yeah, it totally seems like that. Rotation. The, the, so I've seen people speculate, oh, well, you know, it's it's tough to lose a reliever. Um, you know, Orioles fans are like, oh yeah, it sucks to lose a reliever, but they're replaceable. I don't think you lost a reliever. I think you 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 guaranteed lost a reliever, but you might have lost a starter. 
and, and a potentially a good one. And I talked about it on the Orioles episode. We were talking about how, uh, you know, if if he wasn't graduated from from prospect status with us, I, I would have been very eager and excited to to break him down and and talk about some of the changes that DL Hall made. He's gone on shows and, and talked about. I think it was on foul territory that he said he wanted to to start. Um, I, I forget where it was on, but he, he went out and talked about that the plan was to start. And you know, ne- it made sense there because they needed rotation help. But now you look at Milwaukee and. You could argue they need even more rotation help. So I don't think they're getting D.L. Hall here if they're not planning on at least trying him as a starter first. You have to exhaust that option before moving him to the bullpen because there's just so much more value in that regard. I'm going to get into the changes that D.L. Hall made and everything, but where are you at? I mean, do you feel like it's a no-brainer that, that he's a starter? I also think if he's the number two piece that you're getting and really like the second key piece that you're getting in a trade for your ace – the idea has to be to maximize him and, and, and try to start him, right? Like yes. you're not acquiring a 25 year old reliever as the no. second piece in a trade for Corbin Burns. I feel like no, like Brash is not a second piece and you have to look at DL Hall, the reliever as Matt Brash. He and Brash are the same thing. It's starter, gross stuff, couldn't throw strikes, make the move to the bullpen. Like at, at the lowest possible value, this guy is a low threes reliever that is disgusting and going to end up on Pitching Ninja. That's Brash, that's D.L. Hall. But I do believe that they're going to give him every opportunity to start. And I want to look at the rotation in two different ways. I want to look at it without context, and I want to look at it with context. Without context, go to Fangraphs.com, pull up roster resource, and go to the Brewers page, and you will see Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, Colin Ray, Joe Ross, D.L. Hall. Now, let's go to it with context. Freddie Peralta, D.L. Hall, Wade Miley, Robert Gasser, Aaron Ashby, whatever innings you can get from him, Jansen Jones. I think he goes to the pen, to be honest. I think that makes more sense. Ashby. Yeah, that could make some sense, but like... You got junk. You got Carlos Rodriguez, who you could audition. Mizarowski is not far away. He finished the year in double A and why waste bullets here? There are so many guys that are a farther scroll on roster resource that make this thing look better than it actually looks. So opening day may suck in terms of the rotation, but let's talk after the all-star break. And when they're running out of front four of Peralta, Hall, Miley, and one of Gasser or Mizarowski, Tell me it's one of the worst rotations in baseball because you will not convince me of that. No. And, and I still think Peralta is better than what we've seen. And I think yes. he's going to be a guy that ends up pitching like a frontline dude. And I think they're counting on that. Miley's been pretty safe and, and steady. Uh, I think Gasser can make the team outright. Uh, I yeah. know you are, are believe that as well. And and there's a good chance he does. Uh, I don't really want to watch Colin Ray and, and, and Joe Ross. I think they're, they're great, you know, insurance policies to, you know, some volatile pieces here in, in Hall and then even Gasser when he gets up. But I think Gasser's relatively safe as you know, just volatile through the lens of he is a prospect at the end of the day. But this is one of the best bullpens in, in Major League Baseball, right? I mean, the, the way that they can shorten games is, is pretty absurd. And I think that has to make them even more willing to have D.L. Hall as a starter because he can be a five and dive guy, hand it off to Abner Uribe, hand it off to O.B. Milner, hand it off to so many different guys, and, and you still have your high leverage guys ready to go. So I want to dive into to, to Hall real quick and 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 what we, we've we've alluded to it a little bit, like he's made some mechanical adjustments. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, he made the move to the bullpen. And he was better. Yeah. Like, I, I think that helped because, of course, the stuff's going to play up. But I think people are conflating that, you know, with or, or not even conflating. I think people are just looking at that and, and overlooking the fact that he totally changed his delivery. He's totally a, a different 
pitcher in terms of the way that he attacks home plate. And, and there's some very like significant changes in the data that would back that. So looking at the 2022 pitch characteristics, he he had a release height of 5.7 feet on his fastball. It was 5.75, actually. This past year, over the, I think, final 300 pitches he threw, because he made that mechanical tweak you know, later in the season, release height of 5.36. That's a significant drop you know, in release side, that's 0.4 feet. And it wasn't necessarily that he it changed the arm angle too much. There's more of a drop and a drive for him. That's smoother uh, instead of a very vertical kind of over his leg delivery. That was harder for him to repeat. And so it's smoother. He drives, he uses his lower half more, more consistently. And he's throwing from a lower position, which I think is just allowing that ride to play up. So he drops his release height by 0.4 feet. And then the vertical attack angle is been is now way flatter. So now pushing from this lower point, pushing from his lower half, I think he also was able to get more extension. If comparing from 2022 to the final 300 pitches of 2023, he gained almost a foot of extension on his fastball, which like that is freaking insane. You don't do that. His vertical attack angle went from negative 4.7 to negative 4.0, which you know, vertical attacking goes going to correlate with the lower release side. So that, that obviously goes hand in hand, but again, that's a huge drop in terms of making it a flatter approach angle. So the fastball just became way better to get another foot of extension to have a flatter vertical attack angle and drop the release height is, is absurd. So it just shows you how, how talented he is on the mound. And he finally was able to find and make these changes. And the result was that he dominated. And yes, it was out of the bullpen, but I don't think he dominated because he was a reliever. I think he dominated because he totally optimized his delivery and optimized his mechanics. The results were not only better stuff, the results were also not walking anybody. His final eight appearances of the season, he struck out 13, he walked one. Uh, That's a 37% K rate, 3% walk rate. I can extrapolate that to his final 15 appearances, 17 Ks, three walks. And you look at the strike rates across the board, they're fantastic, but also everything plays up. Fastball end zone whiff rate at 31% over his final 15 appearances, a chase rate at 32%. Then he starts throwing this slider more and even mixes in this curveball just to, to be the taste breaker. But the fastball being so damn good allowed the changeup to play up. You know what his changeup strike rate was over his final 15 appearances? 78%. This is a guy that had command issues. He smoothed the delivery. He gained confidence. Everything's playing up. I, I think this guy is poised for, I think, uh, the ability to break out as a starter, barring health. Health is the only thing. But if you let health keep you from trying to maximize the value of your pitchers, you're going to just paralyze yourself anyways, because pitchers are going to get hurt no matter what. You might as well try him as a starter and see how it goes. And I think the new delivery will also help him uh, prevent injury. I'm going to say it. Do you know what the new delivery looks a lot like? Former bird. Former bird. I don't know. How much hater is in this delivery? Yeah, there, there is a some lot hater in there. Look, There's a lot of hater. Drive. 
Yeah, it's that. But it's but it's also the rotational torque. It's also he's coming from that three quarter slot, and the VAA is lower. Like there's something about the new slot, the way his torso turns over the course of his delivery, and the back knee driving him forward. It's a mix of all my weights working to the plate, but I'm also getting rotational turn. That's what has created the elite fastball for Hater. And dude, like there's a lot of that Hater delivery in DL Hall. And the difference is, you know, I think they made, and that's the cool thing is the floor for, for Hall, I think is, you know, he replaces Devin Williams as their lights out closer. Uh, I literally, I literally think the floor for him is like high leverage reliever. Um, you know, not Devin Williams ask, but the floor brash. is like, floor is yeah, brash. Again, brash. brash is the floor. I honestly think he's nastier because he's a lefty and he's around the zone more as a reliever now than brash is right. Brash is still, it's kind of scattershot with his stuff. Whereas Hall has now shown that he can fill up the zone. I don't think Brash has ever had a 15 game stretch where he's thrown this many strikes, even as a reliever. So I think there's even more upside. Um, and, and maybe the floor is even a little bit higher than Brash, which is why I think it's a great acquisition for him. Talk about prospect fatigue. Feels like he's 48 years old. He's 25. He's going to be 25 for the entire season up until September 19th. So I think it's a great get for, the, you know, for the Brewers in a situation where, how are you going to get an arm from the Orioles? It's rare. And I think the Orioles are probably very resistant to, to, to give up Hall. But then you look at, okay, they, they just added Corbin Burns. That's what they needed. Grayson's going to make a leap. They're going to get John Means back, who's you know obviously very helpful for them as a lefty in that rotation. They have other guys now. Bradish has been awesome. So I think they feel a lot better now about it. And they didn't have to trade one of Mayo, Basayo, um, you know, any of those guys, even Kerstad, Kowser, all of them stay. They wouldn't have interest in Kowser and Kerstad, I think, considering their outfield situation. But to be able to yeah. hold on to all those guys uh, and go get a Corbin Burns, you got to feel really good about where you're at if you're the Orioles. But if you're the Brewers, I think for one year of Corbin Burns, I think they did really damn well because you got really two well. guys that are guaranteed to, to, to help your big league team, but still two guys that you have a ton of control over and can continue to get better. And if I have the number right, they have the 34th pick coming their way as well. Now, keep in mind, if Burns does go elsewhere and declines the qualifying offer, the Orioles get a comp pick, which is like a cherry on top of this because we know how well they draft, especially high. And that'll be in the 30s. But Milwaukee also gets the 34th pick. 34th pick this past year was Charlie Soto. And that is a legit pitching prospect for the Twins. Guys that were taken around 34. Colin Houck by the Mets, Josh Noth by the Brewers, Charlie Soto by the Twins, Thomas White, left-hander from Mass by the Marlins, Kevin McGonigal went 37th to Detroit, Ty Floyd went 38th to Cincinnati, Miles Naylor went 39th to Oakland. These are all like top 10 prospects within their specific organizations. You're going to get another yep. like fringe top 10 prospect in your system here if you're Milwaukee, especially with the way that they draft. Yeah, I was going to say, and we, we, the number one thing is pool allotment. Now they just have more yeah. budget to work with. And they were, I think, the most creative team last year. We just talked about it in the Brewers' top prospect. So it's like they overslot their sixth-round pick in Cooper Pratt and, and are able to sign him. They, they are able to snag Eric Batanti, another prep guy. I mean, I have a third and sixth-round high-upside prep guys that you're able to sign after still drafting Brock Wilkin. They go and get a Josh Noth and are able to sign it. So they get three prep studs, like high upside prep studs. And that's not even, you know, counting a community college arm that they got that I know they're excited about and, and some other intrigue. But like having that capital is just going to allow them to cook as one of the, I think, better drafting teams over the last couple of years and one of the more creative. So 
that's going to help them a lot too. And I think they felt like they probably, as you mentioned, added another top 10 prospect with that pick at the very least, and probably feel even more confident because they're able to mix and match and get creative with it. So I, I like where they're at. I think Hall could easily be their their number two starter if it all clicks, considering mm-hmm. that you know behind Peralta, I know it's not saying much, but he's obviously a better option than Gasser, I think just upside-wise. But Gasser, yeah. I think, is going to give you a low force and, and give you uh, plenty of innings. Like He can yeah, he throws innings. a billion innings. He threw yeah. a billion innings at AAA last year. There's nothing left for that guy to prove in Nashville. No, nothing left. And so they'll have three lefties potentially in their rotation. That's fine because it's just for now until you know you move on from Wade Miley. But at this point, you just want upside and, and innings, and, and they're getting just that. So Why would you move off from Wade Miley? That guy's going to live forever. No, yeah, he's going to live forever. true. He, he he has like nine lives. They say lefties have nine lives. Um, and I think Miley's pretty much exactly that. He also speed runs baseball. It's hilarious. Like more so than Mark Burley did. It's crazy to me oh, how quick Wade Miley works. Oh, I'm sure Rob Manfred loves him. He's going to make sure he, he has a job in, in Major League Baseball forever. Um, yeah. Let's wrap up here with kind of, I guess, where, like, what does this give you information wise? You know, what do you feel like you know more now about the value of a Jesus Lazardo, the value of a Dylan C's and not the asking price. We're, we're talking about the value uh, and a reasonable asking price, because I'll be honest, I did not think Corbin Burns would get moved at this point. No. He did. I, I don't think Dylan C's was gonna, is going to get moved at this point, considering the, the, what we've heard and, and the reports and everything, but he easily could, you never know nowadays. Like, I, I, these trades just seem to catch you out of nowhere. And I think the White Sox have to be looking at this and saying, yes, it's not their two top guys, you know, in Baltimore, but man, we could really use a DL hall, man. We could really use a Joey Ortiz and maybe it'll make them a little bit more eager to, to make the trade now uh, and, and cash in and, and try to upgrade their team, you know, as soon as this year and, and have a little bit more clarity on what their long-term situation is. So who are, we're, what we're going to talk about is who are some teams that can, pull off trades now that we're kind of understanding what, what, what the package looks like and which teams could still have a top 15 farm system or top 20, even you know, stay out of the bottom third of the league while yeah. still pulling off what we think the, the value will be. Cause this kind of gave us a nice little recalibration of trade value. Every time we get a trade, it's like, you know, recalibrating and we're able yeah. to you know, use that to, to, to get a little bit more specific and, and get a little bit better of an idea. So Burns is under control for one more year. And he is one of the best pitchers in baseball, probably a top three, top four pitcher in all of baseball. His down year this past year was a 3-3 ERA. Cease's down year was a mid-fours ERA and five walks behind. Mm-hmm. Lizardo, his down year is 100 innings. But like we know it's going to be mid to high threes. That's what he does. In terms of value, how would you stack Lazardo, Cease, Burns? I probably go in that order. Lazardo, because three years of control, Cease, two years at 21 mil, and then Burns because of the one year of control. But they're close. Yeah. So I think I think Burns and Cease are almost identical. Because I think, so I think Burns is so much I don't want to say so much better because Cease is a great pitcher, but it's just really a testament to Burns. Burns is so much better than everybody else, including Cease. He's so much more consistent. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a safer arm that I almost feel like one year of Burns is about equal to two years of C's, right? Like I feel like that's relatively fair, right? Like I I think that's kind of where I'm at on it. Where and I know that 
two years of cease is probably in a vacuum more valuable if you look at like war and things like that. But right. I'm just saying from from a perspective of, of what a team would be willing to give up, you know, you're getting one year of a guaranteed frontline guy for you. Again, you mentioned his bad years, a three, three, whereas Dylan Cease, you get two years of a guy that could give you a four. And and, right. and that implied volatility, I think, is going to be reflected in, in the trade value. And I think they're almost I would put cease slightly above because control is king but i would slightly. say it's almost 2a 2b uh, that's, i think it's very close so i think it's almost a perfect template of what cease can get and i think that might not be enough for the white Sox. so that's that's the problem so i view cease as like a year and a deadline a year and two months of cease for me is equivalent to a year of burns yes. so like that's kind of how i am contextualizing it where i think you need to add another guy that is a fringe top 10 prospect to the package that Milwaukee just got for Corbin Burns, but spit out just like first team that comes to your mind when I say the 15th best farm system in baseball, an average farm system. Hmm. That's a great question. 15th best farm system in baseball. Like who is the most, I, the Giants? Probably the Giants. a little bit better than that. No, no, they're Let's, better than that. I like the new guys that they've added. I uh, I would say mm, Toronto. Like the, the Twins? Twins. Twins are probably fair. Yeah, I'd say twins are right in the middle. So the twins like Walker Jenkins, Brooks Lee, Emmanuel Rodriguez. Great. But then after that, that it's might be. Gabby. Gid- now, yeah, now Gabby. Gids- that might be a little bit better than 15. But then after that, it's yeah. like Marco Raya, Soto, Prelip, like those kind yeah. of guys. David Festa. That's, that's is that 15? Probably, it's probably right 10? around. They're probably a little bit probably closer to 10, but that's that's close enough. Close enough for the okay. sake of. of- so, if, yeah, for the sake of the exercise, let's do this. Where does Joey Ortiz slot into the Twins top five or top 10? Jenkins, better. Brooks Lee or Joey Ortiz? Brooks uh, Brooks Lee. Emmanuel Rodriguez or Joey Ortiz? Emmanuel Rodriguez, just because of the youth. Okay, so I, Ortiz ahead of Gabby Gonzalez. So yes, you by, have by probably, margin. yeah, so you have the fourth best prospect in their system. D.L. Hall or Gabby Gonzalez? D.L. Hall. Four and five. The 34th pick. Charlie Soto is probably the, the fifth or it's sixth exactly prospect it. in their system yeah. right now. Charlie yeah. Soto was literally the 34th pick. So let's call it four, five, and seven. That's what it costs in an average system. Or like a slightly, above, slightly above average system, I'll give them. Just because of the, like, the, the three guys at the top are really, really damn good. So right. like, yeah, slightly above average. That's, that's a pretty good barometer. You know, and so you could like yeah. bump that up like one spot each, right? So it's like it's going to be like three, four, and six. Let's say, like, yes, that's that's a lot. It's a lot, but at the same time, the twins in this instance would not be parting with Emmanuel Rodriguez, Brooks Lee, and you know, Walker and, Jenkins. and Walker Jenkins. And that's why it's crazy to me that a lot more teams aren't you know pushing the chips forward. But I think also maybe a lot of other teams are trying and and the White Sox are saying that's just not enough for us. You know, we don't, I think they care about the optics. I think Chris Getz doesn't want to make a, you know, his first big move being not getting the number one or two guy in a system. Right. I don't want to yeah. get the number three, four and six guy. If Cease goes in, and I think that's like, we're talking about OIs kind of being paralyzed. I think that's kind of where we're at with, with Getz at, to, a, to a degree, because it's like, if I go trade Cease and he's back to Cy Young form and I didn't get the number one or two prospect in a, in a, in a decent system, like we just, mapped it out there and basically you're not getting anybody's number one prospect unless you are you know unless you're trading with 
a really bad system. Or you make a composite of like the the composite ranking in there. If you do four, five, and seven, that add all those numbers up at 16, you divide it by three, it's like 5.3, five and a half. So if you can get to a composite of like five and a half where you get number one, but then you also get nine and 10 or one, seven and nine, I don't, I'm not doing the math off the dome, but like, it's something like that. You move the other two back in order to get the top prospect. You're getting the top prospect, but then more fillers than guys that could be impactful big leaguers in the future. And and the thing is, I think that might not be enough for Gats. It's not enough. And that's where we're at here, right? I think for a team like the Marlins, it, it could be. And that's why I think the Marlins are taking a different approach where we see the Marlins discussing, you know, Lizardo for Vinny Pascantino. I know he's no longer a prospect, but that's like, you know, that's a top, top bat. You feel really good about it. And, and again, I think he's one of the better young bats in the sport, just got wiped out by an injury last year. I, I Like for a Lizardo then, because Lizardo, I think is King's around ransom. the same volatility of Cease. I think honestly, no, because I, I maybe implied volatility because of the injuries. So you could kind of say it's it's similar, but coming off his healthiest season, lefty pitches to contact more good command and gets the whiffs and just, you know, checks a lot of boxes, more control. What does that look like then? Because I think what we've kind of said, like it looks like a for for Cease, it's about a three, four and a six in a top system, maybe a filler to put it over the top. Um you know, in, in an average system for a Lizardo, I, I feel like it's got to either be a, a big league piece to start or, you know, just in the realm of prospects. I, I think it's got to be, you know, starting with a number two guy in a system. And if it's not, you, you, you hang up the phone. I think that's the difference is yep. with a cease. It's you can make a very competitive and reasonable offer without tapping into your top two. If you have a an average farm system. I think with Lizardo, there's just this, this, he's just in that next echelon where if it's not starting with a top 50 prospect in baseball, there's really no reason for the Marlins to do it now because with Cease, it's a diminishing asset at this point. Even if he performs well, he's losing, you know, every, every month that he pitches, he's like losing like 5% control, right? There's only two more seasons here. However many months that is, every month he pitches, he's losing control. So even if he's performing well, it's like one step forward and like a three quarters of a step back because he's losing control every time he throws. So yeah. that lens, it's a little different. With Lizardo, three years, even as he pitches this year, it doesn't really start to have like that countdown meter of control until it's two years and under. When it's three years to like two and change, it doesn't really matter. Once you get to two no. years and then you're getting closer to one year, that's where you really see that that drop off. So uh, do you think it's fair? Like it, you can't really start with less than the number two prospect in an average system. Like if I'm the Marlins, I'm not even yeah. considering a, a conversation around Lizardo unless it starts with Emmanuel Rodriguez or, or Brooks Lee. And, and I'd argue that it, it might have to be both of them. If you're not going to give me Walker Jenkins. Yeah. I, I think that argument is totally fair. And Heyman said last week, John Heyman said last week that the, Asking price for Dylan Cease was the sun and the moon. If I'm the Mar if I'm Peter Bendix, it's like the sun, the moon, and a, a, like the largest star in the Andromeda galaxy. It like it is. I'm asking for a king's ransom, and I think it starts with a consensus top thirty prospect in baseball. And if it doesn't, then move elsewhere. There are enough organizations that are trying to win at the major league level right now 
that have a top 30 prospect in baseball. Go ask them and we'll see what the price is because Lizardo, like, yes, he's tabbed as injury prone. This is such a, what have you done for me lately game, especially pitching. And guess what Lizardo has done lately? Back-to-back years with a low to mid three ZRA. And he's coming off of 179 innings in a four win season on the mound. Plus a postseason start. He's one of the best left-handed pitching. He's one of the best left-handed pitchers in all of baseball. His value is eons greater than Carlos Rodon right now. Like, dude, he's up against the freeds of the world. Like, he's entered that conversation. So you're going to need to pay a pretty, pretty penny for him. Yeah. And I think the way that he's been able to, like, overcome, you know, those injuries and and works his butt off, I think you're going to feel better about the the situation and the player that you're acquiring, too. So to to kind of wrap with that, then, how many teams have a headliner that could go get a Lizardo that would willing, like, reasonably do it? We're not going to talk about James Wood on the Nationals or something like that. Like, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, like, even just looking at our our 2023 list, right, before we we're going to update 2024 relatively soon, but... The teams that would have like an interest in, in Jesus Lizardo reasonably, like that have a, a top dog that can be moved. Like I, I do think that there's those untouchable range of prospects that, you know, even for a Lizardo, you, you're just you're just not gonna move them. Uh, but I do think it gets to a point where I'm looking at like the Padres, and I'm wondering, like, they draft so well, the farm has gotten really strong, they just signed everybody's favorite. Uh, international free agent. I haven't seen much on him yet in, in DeVries, but like we're seeing him already ranked top 100 before a professional at bat, uh, which, you know, I love when we do that off of yeah. a couple of great videos, you know, on, on a backfield. But I, I, I do wonder, like they obviously love him and there's a lot of well-respected people in the industry that were out there watching him saying great things. Ben, ben Battler, Baseball America, I know has said some, some fantastic things about him. To the Padres, you know, like Merrill's probably too much right but a solace is probably too much but then a snelling like that's kind of a like a weird swap though when you have yeah. a younger pitcher with control so they probably don't match up that well but like what's a team that could match up and do it and not murder their farm system by trading a top 50 guy the cubs yeah they're the team yeah. pete Crow yeah. armstrong if you re-sign Bellinger and you have concerns about Pete Crow Armstrong, he is ready to play on opening day in Major League Baseball. Obviously, there's a ton of volatility there, but you would be doing backflips if he was the opening day center fielder for the Miami Marlins. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the only thing that makes that that trade palatable is if you're the Marlins, you're like, holy crap, we have a, a real center fielder now. I mean, the Marlins, the, the, I think this new front office is a little bit less keen on, on, on jazz. And um, you know, he just lost his arbitration case. And I, I just, I just feel like they want a true center fielder. And we know how much Peter Bendix is, is prioritized defensive ability in center and doesn't care about whiff. I always allude to the to Siri, but a lot of other guys that they've plugged in center through the years, like they know that it's going to come along usually offensively and, and you can't really teach that value and, and him in center would be, absolutely unbelievable it would be a blast so yeah. I, I think that's the that's the one right because it, it also allows you to go get ballinger and not feel like you're, you're blocking pca that's probably the best prospect that could reasonably be moved for for lizardo that's the thing and, reasonably and I, moved so like the rangers the rangers could do it 
with a Carter or a Langford, but you cannot reasonably tell me that the Texas Rangers are going to move Evan Carter or Wyatt Langford. They're not Never. going to. No. And Never. I and I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Like I you know, Carter was a hero for them and and we know how you no know, Wyatt Langford's arguably the number one prospect in baseball. I think you you can make a very sound case to that. I don't think yeah. he'll be number one for us, but like I would hear that argument any day of the week. Um but it seems like that's they're the perfect fit because it answers their their situation in in you know on the mound. I think they could use another arm there. And and also the Marlins Chicago. they get that center fielder. How much more would they need to add to PCA is, is kind of the question. Because I do yeah. think that it, I think the industry is kind of aware of the, the volatility offensively. And and obviously the, that's going to be something that is probably cited. And and he did struggle in, in a very short big league stint. He's still going to be a top 20 prospect for us, but I still think you got to add a little bit more on top of that. I don't think it needs to be too much though. Maybe it's, you know, a Triantos, maybe it's, um, so yeah, I was going to pitch you on Matt Shaw. Or is that wow, too much? That's a lot. It's probably too much. I think that's too much, but sure? maybe not. I don't know. Come fans might punch an air right now as we're talking about it. But I mean that, I mean, I would send that in right now. And I, I like, I, I love Jesus, but <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's the man, but Oh man, that would be hard to pass on that. I mean, I, that's what my asking price would be. The thing I don't is, know if man, the Cubs would say yes to that though. Right. But I think that's a fair ask. Those two, nothing else. That's it. And and for me, who have you extended on this team? You extended Horner and Swanson. Like, obviously, Hap's on an extension, too. And say, uh, Suzuki's still on a long-term deal. And you're probably going to give Bellinger some money. It seems like they're going to go get Bellinger or Chapman. Your middle infield's extended. Like, it's set. Shaw's going to be ready soon. Like, he he might be ready by the end of the year. What are you going to do with him? You got a guy at short every day. You got a guy at second every day. So if he is yeah. viewed as surplus in the slightest, that's the thing that puts it over the top. Yeah. And and look, if the, the Cubs, again, the system would still be good. We're talking about what systems would still be top 15 after that trade. You subtract PCA and Shaw from that system. I still think it's top 15 because Owen Casey for us is a top 30 prospect in baseball. I, Kevin Alcantara is a top 100 guy. Moises Ballesteros is, is a French top 100 guy. James Triantos is a French top 100 guy. I didn't even mention Kate Horton, who's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. That's right. still a top 15 system. Uh, so from, from that perspective, like it's, it's, they could do it and it wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, I don't know if they do. It seems like they, they kind of like what they've got going, but it's just another example. And that could be something that happens during the season even. The other side of it, too, is you can instantly extend this man, right? Like you can instantly, you mentioned, like, who's the last guy they extended? They didn't want to pay some of these other pitchers. Three years of control, leverage that. Lizardo hasn't gotten paid. Like, he would probably sign an, an, a pretty favorable deal, and you've got a left-hander locked up for the foreseeable future. Um, I think that would be absolutely huge for them. Maybe maybe it's a instead of a, a Shaw, they throw in – a. They say, no, we won't do that by Steros and, and Wicks or whatever it is. And like you, sure. you've got balance across the board. But I, again, the Cubs still wouldn't feel that. Is there one other team that is like pops up to you as, as an option? <laughs> I mean, I, the Dodgers, <laughs> like they can just do it from sheer like quantity alone. If if rushing headlined it. I think they're fine with that. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, the Marlins need a catcher in the worst way. Um, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, cause you know, when you look at cease, I think anybody could reasonably trade for him. It's just, there's no reasonable price at this point. Right. Yeah. 
like the Reds, like that's a system that probably couldn't do it at this point. It would really deplete them and they'd probably have nothing left. Well, and they would need to include a like they'll try and do India. And the Marlins are like, no, dude, what? We want Noel V. Marte. And the answer to Noel V. Marte is no, we need him. Like there's just too much of a hang up here because that system, it falls off in terms of guys in the back half of the top 100. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last one I'd mention is the Yankees. Just because well, Dominguez untouchable, right? Spencer Jones, I, I understand the volatility there, but that upside would probably he'd be, you know, by so far and away the best position player prospect the Marlins have, and, and by far the highest upside that they have that I think that would be of interest. Everson Pereira, I know he swung and missed a bunch in his big league debut, but instantly could plug into center for the Marlins and is offers a ton of power for them. Like that that's another one I think that you know the Yankees could probably put something together there and and not really yeah, the system wouldn't be great great but it would it would still be fine enough um and by the fine. way that's the next system that we'll be writing up but yeah it, it's um i that's why i don't think he gets moved though because the list is so short of teams that could really do it and not feel it um or, yeah. or you know everyone's gonna feel it but do it and not fully just eliminate the farm uh so again the only other one that i think was, would make sense is the padres if they you know, put in a Lesko, uh, and then, you know, one of these other pieces as well. Uh, if it's not Merrill, I still think they could piece it together one way or another because the Padres do sneakily have a really good farm system now. Um, so that's another another team that, that could get creative and do it. But I don't know if he gets moved. I, I hope he doesn't just for the sake of I love I love Lizardo as a South Florida kid. But to wrap, what do you think the situation is with Cease? Does, does do the White Sox ever cave to our three, four, seven theory of an average farm system at the deadline. They do opening day. Yeah. Get ready at guaranteed rate. Dylan Cease throwing a Martin Maldonado with Paul DeYoung at shortstop. Yay. Looking forward to that. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, I already got a couple, you know, people reaching out about, you know, doing that bonus episode on the weekend again any yeah. feedback on that would be great things that you would like to hear in that would be awesome and and when you probably want that to start because right now right now in the off season we're only doing one to two a week usually two uh, and then during the regular season we're going to do two to three but whether it's two or three there will always be the bonus episode on the weekend so that would be the other side of it too is no matter how crazy the week is during the weekend we'd be able to, to get that extra episode up um, and and you know looking forward to potentially doing that because I think it'd be a cool way to almost engage with the, with the audience a bit more, engage with you a little bit more, know what you're looking for, know what you want to talk about. And it could be a way that we do, you know, we're going to do mailbags probably once a month, but we could do an extra mailbag every, every month, you know, for the bonus episode and, and do some other creative and fun things. So I'm all ears on that. And, you know, again, I, I want to just make the show and, and make what we're doing as, as interesting as possible and, and make it as unique as possible, which with that note, also we just launched the call up Instagram uh, that is yes. linked in the episode description. Definitely go check that out. We're really excited. We're going to be doing a lot of similar things to the Just Baseball Show where we all have quote cards. We're going to have, you know, in case you missed the episode or, you know, just want to know which episode might be worth listening to. If you don't listen to every single one, we're going to be putting out clips as well. We, we just put out a Samuel Basayo clip uh, from from our Orioles episode. So it'll it'll be a way for you to get little trailers of, of each episode and you know, see if it, if it you know piques your interest, uh, you know, that week or you know, even if it's something that you missed from the show. I think some of these clips are, are really fun with the highlights and things like that as well. So very pumped about that. 
So let me know what you're looking for in the bonus content area. Looking forward to building that out with you. And, and we can maybe add some additional you know perks and, and stuff to that as well. Always appreciate the feedback and the help. If you can subscribe on YouTube. Also, we've been pumped about the growth there. And look forward to talking top shortstop prospects with you next week, as well as top Yankees prospects. Have a great weekend. The Brewers are a top three system in baseball. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.